Will you thank Dylan and our tech team for putting that together? It's good stuff to see our young people up here leading us in worship today. And um, what we want to do today, as a matter of fact, before we do that, I just want to, for those who are here today, Tim Revis joins us on staff today. Welcome, Tim. We're very glad you're with us today. He's uh, taken over our pastoral care role, okay? It's good to have him here. So um, I want us to be certain to grab a hold of this scripture. You've heard it once on the video. Dylan came back in and read it again. And now I want us to read it out loud together as well ourselves. Would you read out loud with me for the third time then? Because it's a very hard passage of scripture. I want to see if you can get your arms around it and kind of start thinking about it. Let's read out loud. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the bed bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. What does that mean? We've heard it three times. And even upon the third hearing, you go, Wow, what does this really mean? What we're doing today is we're starting a new sermon series that um, is based on conversations that Jesus had uh, at the turning point, beginning at the turning point of his ministry. Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 51, is the turning point of Jesus' ministry where he goes from doing ministry in the northern part of Israel and in the area of Galilee, and he heads straight for Jerusalem. And so when we pick up this passage today, he is just a few weeks from his death, and he knows it, and he has set his course there. And uh, we want to kind of follow him in the next few weeks as we make our way towards Holy Week and Easter as he was doing in probably about the same amount of time in what the passages we're going to look at are the, as the time that Jesus had from the passage we just read, Luke 9, to when he died. And so throughout the coming weeks, we're going to look at conversations that Jesus had with people along the journey from, the, from Galilee all the way down to Jerusalem. And you may notice in your program today, there's a, a study guide that will help you prepare for next week's message. Matt Hoagland, one of the young men in our congregation who's in seminary preparing for ministry, um, he has done these for us. And so I'd invite you to take them home and to look at them this week and think, Try and figure out what scripture might be saying. If you don't own a Bible, take the one in the pew rack in front of you as our gift to you and take that study guide and see what you might be learning in preparation for worship next week. And if you will, some sort of Lenten experience moving up to Easter. Because what we're trying to do through these conversations is to see if we can focus in on Jesus' understanding of the challenges he faced in the weeks leading up to his death. And we're starting quite with a very difficult passage today because it really is the point where he goes, okay, I'm headed for Jerusalem. And he starts off with some very hard sayings. And what does it mean that to follow me, you, get, you don't get to take care of grief or don't get to take care of, your, care of your family? What was he thinking? Well, one way in which to understand this is to go back and look at Luke chapter 9, verse 51 and recognize that where it says that Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, 
Get a little bit of understanding of that, okay? In, 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 the, in the Greek language where, where, it was, where we have this originally, the, this resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem, it describes the act of fixing firmly with some sort of intention and in purpose. Um, and despite whatever difficulty or danger might be coming along, this is what I'm going to do. It's really connected to a Hebrew understanding, an Old Testament understanding of where you say, I'm setting my face for battle. And as Jesus is talking, he's made this decision. I'm headed, I'm headed into a battle. And as I go there, it's going to be hard. And if you want to follow me, it's going to be hard. So we, we're starting right there today, and I need to acknowledge it's hard. This sermon today and this passage is hard. Next week, if you look again at that study guide, you'll notice it's a little easier because next week we're looking at comfort for the journey. Today is the hardness of the journey. Next week is the comfort for the journey. But if, for today, though... If Jesus set out with resolution for Jerusalem with nothing to deter him, begs the question for us, what are we focused on? Where are we headed with great determination? And our passage would indicate that we should be headed to following Jesus. And he, Jesus in his discussion, we, we can see that he's having a talk with three different fellows, three different men, and we get the sense they want, to, they want to follow him. And he says, well, uh, we'll see how that goes. And so what I, want to, what, I, what I want to do with you today is kind of warm up this sermon by talking about us, about the congregation called First Christian Church. And then we'll turn the table and we'll, 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 after we're kind of warmed up and used to the whole idea, then we'll see what we can say about us as individuals. Because what are you focused on? Because it's almost as if Jesus is saying, well, these guys want to follow him, but I don't, I don't know if I want anybody to follow me because there's no, there's no five-star hotel. Let someone else bury your dead. And by the way, be quick to leave your family. And he go, how does that work? Is he being insensitive to the norms of family life and home and relationships? Does he, have, does he have no understanding of that? Or maybe another way to look at it, is he, are we, is he just in so much distress about where he's headed that he's develop some poor communication skills. He's having a bad day, if you will. Well, think again what he knows is in front of him. He has resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he says, this is not going to be any walk in the park. And then that automatically comes to us. Well, isn't this beyond us? I mean, if this is all about intent and drive, what's he saying? He's saying... Don't settle for easy or lazy following. Well, you'd say, well, I'm never going to settle for easy or lazy following. If God calls me to something really big, I'm going to be on it. I mean, I'm going to be all over it. If, if, if I get this sense that God would call me to go and serve in Papua New Guinea amongst the tribal headhunters down there and risk my life canoeing, you know, paddling up some jungle stream, I'll do it in a heartbeat. And you know what? I think if you heard that call of God, you would. There's something about the big adventure that you take that on. But what about in the day-to-day -day stuff? What about, okay, how am I going to do this following when I got to go to work tomorrow or I got to deal with the family later in the week? I got I to have interactions with the neighbor and the banker and what is it like when it's day-to-day -day and how would that apply to our congregation? Well, I want you to notice that I said... 
How is that going to apply to our congregation? It's about us at this point in the sermon. It's about we, because we say here at First Christian Church that we want to be Jesus' representatives to this community. And so what does that mean for us? Well, as Pastor Brian mentioned to you last week, we are, have some hard choices in front of us right now, difficult choices, challenges, uh, that all come from good stuff. Uh, we said uh, a number of months ago that beginning in 2015 particularly, we are going to take the next 10 years to reach 10% of our community. You're kind of getting tired of hearing that now, but I need to tell you it's beginning to happen. Not so much today. But the story of our life in recent months is more and more people are here and we're kind of having to figure out what to do. And along the way, that means we have to have some difficult choices in front of us. And I'm quite aware that in the years ahead, not everybody's going to like everything that more people coming here is going to bring. And we might lose some folk who who aren't up for the journey. But you need to know that the intent of the leadership of this church and of the congregation is that we are resolutely set for the future, and as Brian mentioned last week, that means that we have to figure out how we're going to do things in the future. And so what will it mean for us to follow the call of God and to say, well, even if it's a hard journey, what will we do? I've got some ideas that I'm ways in which you can help today and ways in which we can follow. First of all, I pray that you will help us continue to embrace change. As a matter of fact, embrace more change. It's a value that we hold high here, but who likes it? Who are we kidding? We always would say, no, it's kind of like where things are. Well, we're very comfortable in the way things are right now, and all of us are here, and it's nice, as a, you know, and, but if we're going to say we need more people or we're asking for more people to know Jesus Christ, then, well, I'm, this weekend marks a change in the life of our church, and frankly, the life of my pastoral ministry that's more than 30 years. I've been doing pastoral ministry for more than 30 years, and Beginning this weekend, after this weekend, there are not going to be any tracking of attendance in this this room of adults any longer. We'll still track kids and all that sort of stuff because they need to sign in. But here's what's going on. We are adults in this room, and we kind of need to treat everybody like adults. And this is not that for 30 years of ministry I haven't treated people like adults, but here's my heart as I lead the rest of the pastoral staff and our staff We want to care, we want to provide prayer, we want to provide comfort, we want to provide listening ears. And one way in which we've done that for, in my ministry, for 30 years, and for the more than 20 years I've been here, is we've been very intentional with our tracking systems of adults. And when people sign in every week or we get cards and they say something about needing prayer, we call and we make appointments and we use that as our way to kind of do some of that. But... The size of our church in recent years, frankly, has made those systems quite obsolete and very ineffective. Why is that? We know that just in this room alone, and primarily in this room, the kids' spaces, we've got that covered. Uh, But in this room, we have anywhere from 15 to 20% of the people who are here every weekend who don't sign in for a variety of different reasons. I'm not slamming anybody. I just, the way it goes. And so consequently, we know that there are usually each weekend, not so much this week, we're missing a lot of people today, obviously, but usually on a regular weekend, there are some 200 or more people here that we don't know who they are or if they were here. And our attendance records, if you will, are no longer accurate. 
And so we've got to figure out how we're going to do that in the future. We, if we follow Jesus and say we want to reach this community, how are we going to reach the community and take care of people? Well, I have to, in many ways, put the responsibility on the people who are sitting in the pews. Because for too long in recent years, those of us on staff, we've actually been guessing too much as to what's going on in the life of our congregation. And I'm saying I need to ask you to regularly look around. Who do you know who's here? And when you don't see them, let us know so that we can reach out. Or if you know that there's a struggle going on in someone's life, let us know so that we can respond as, as part of, the, if you will, your extension and as part officially of the church life. And there's this tension that you have in the book of Galatians in this regard that's really helpful for me as I'm saying, I'm letting go of feeling, um, well, just look at what it says in Galatians chapter six, because our ability to care in the future has to be initiated by you. You have this passage in Galatians chapter six where you've got two different comments being made. One, in the same paragraph, we should carry each other's burdens Okay, that's what I'm calling you to do. Carry each other's burdens. But then at the end of the paragraph, do you see that says each of you should also carry your own load? And for us here as a church, we've got to figure out what does that mean? Well, when it comes to weekend worship attendance, we're encouraging you to be responsible for your conduct and for the conduct of other people. And in many ways, this is the next step of us growing and serving together, where we have the opportunity to live out church life together. We'll share one another's burdens in small groups and in Sunday school settings and through serving together. And we really have to say, we need you as a person in the life of our church to get connected with the community portion of our church whether it be a small group or a Sunday school class or whatever, so that those people are aware of what's going on in your life because, frankly, those of us on staff, we, we're, 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 seeing, we're seeing struggles of late. And so last week we started this and said we're going to shift the way things are done. And I want to thank you for the tremendous responses. Pastor Brian said one of the things we want to do is we want men plus 10 or 10 plus men to be able to reach into the lives of people who are in need. That's good news. But in order for us to know those needs, you're going to have to bring them to us. And that's a really cool thing. You know, space in this room is usually a problem. And we're working on another room. We really are. It will be ready in June or July. And we'll be, have more space. And so we can do more services and so forth and so on. But last week we said, if you would consider not coming to the 920 or the 1050, and if that's possible for you with your family's story and family's life. And do you know what? We had 98 households respond to that last week. And so I just want to say congratulations to the congregation for saying, we're, gonna, we're willing to shift and we're willing to make a change and stuff. So that's all good news. But hear this, in, in, the, in the long run, if you're in the hospital, we want to know. We need you to call us, and I need you to know. Your church will be there. Tim starts on staff today, March 1, 2015. His primary responsibility is for the care of our congregation. So it's not like we're saying we don't want to do it. We just have to figure out new ways to get the information. Does that make sense? If you're sick and you're at home, contact us, and your church will pray. If there are financial needs in your life, let us know and your church, as best as we can, will respond. If there are spiritual issues, reach out and your church will act. And so I want to tell you that change is coming and I invite you to pray. Pray that we will, and I've struggled with how, what verb to use all week long. 
pray that we will manage. And I don't particularly like that word, but I think that's the best word I've come up with all week. And that is pray that we will manage the shifts that are in front of us through the larger attending congregation that continues to grow larger where people call First Christian Church home. That's the first thing. Pray about the changes that are coming. Secondly, I want you to invite. And that means if you're going to invite, then you've got to live the invitation. There has to be, for all of us, a life of integrity so that there's congruity between the lifestyle we live and the invitation we give. We are truly set for more people in this building. And we want you to invite others so that in the days ahead, some of your friends, your family members will be will be featured in those baptism videos we do, where we go, we collect all those, that footage from those baptisms. We put, I'm looking forward to your family member, to your neighbor, to your coworker to be in that video in the days ahead. So keep inviting. But as I say that, I, 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 something occurred this week that I think gives us a great mental picture of what that inviting looks like and what kind of attitude we need to have. Lane Ranstall is our business manager, and in the staff meeting this past Tuesday, he made a comment that, man, it kind of, it kind well, Wayne, you don't need to preach this week, just have him come to tell the story, but I'm telling the story for him. How's that? Okay. So he's been in ministry for many years, but prior to being in ministry and going to seminary, he, um, he worked in the hospitality industry. He was a hotel manager, and he made a comment about what happened to him in the first few days on the job as a 20-year-old clerk behind the desk in a hotel. The manager came up to him and said, Lane, welcome to, welcome to the staff, and I want you to be mindful of this. This is the mindset you need to have for everybody who walks through the door. He said, there are going to be people who come through the door, whether it be a family with kids, whether it be a businesswoman who's been on the road for six days and she's absolutely exhausted, it's 5.30 at night, and they're walking through the door with this question, am I going to be homeless tonight? And your primary responsibility is as they walk in the doors to put that smile on your face and say, I've got really good news for you. You are not homeless. You have a room for the night. I love that picture of hospitality because if we're going to be the people of God where God's calling us to go on these invitations, I'm quite aware that there are lots of people in this community who are spiritually homeless. They're also church homeless, but for primarily, first and foremost, they're spiritually homeless. And when they walk through the doors of this building, we need to say, I've got really good news for you. You are no longer homeless. Jesus Christ, in Luke 9, Luke 9, 51, he resolutely set his face toward Jerusalem, and he came and he died for you so that there would be space for you in the kingdom of God. There would be space for you in his body called the church. And we're planning, we've been planning that you'd show up for a long time here at First Christian Church. There is room for you. Every person who walks in the door of this building or every person who walks into our lives, if we take on the attitude and say, there's room for you here, wouldn't it be marvelous to see God work through us that way? So, pray about the change and Pay attention to the care needs of our congregation. Invite some people. And then just one way in which you could step into this following business a little more, and that is I'm inviting you to plan to be here in 2025. Here's my thought. Here it is at the beginning of this major new initiative of our congregation. And I know there are going to be challenges that come our way. I'm quite aware of that. And that... Again, how we manage all these shifts, I know that's all coming our way. 
But I would like for you to even now start writing your story of 2025. So that in 2025, you'll be able to say, you know what? You can't believe what it was like in 2015 compared to now. And back in 2015, when we started this journey of walking with God, we, we didn't imagine all the challenges that would come and all the joys. But you want to you know something? I was there. Bunch of other people, well, they weren't there. But I was one of the ones who was there back then who said, we as a congregation will follow. I'm asking you to begin to plan now that within the, you'll be here 10 years from now and you're saying, I was there when they stepped into all of that. So that's us, all right? So as I said, we're going to warm up with us, but then we're going to turn the tables and it's going to be a little harsher to try and figure out what does this passage of scripture mean for you and me as individuals? What does it mean when we say, when I say, when you say, I'm going to follow Jesus? Well, it means that Jesus is in charge of my life at all times, every aspect of life. That's it up straight. And uh, that means he's in charge of my life today, right now, at 10 after 10 on Sunday morning, March 1st. Excuse me. And he's in charge of my life Monday morning, March 2nd, at 10 after 10, and then Tuesday on the 3rd, and so forth and so on. He's in charge of every aspect of my life. And sadly, not everybody gets that. And I get that they don't get it. Not, and I, sadly, some people, they don't understand that Jesus should be in charge of their life, every aspect of their life, every moment of their life, and they keep making the same mistakes over and over again. And to illustrate this, um, a friend of mine from Toronto sent me a video a few weeks ago that was not particularly designed to be a sermon illustration. But it is so right on with this business of people making the same mistake over and over and over again. They say, I'm not going to make the mistake. And then they make the same mistake. I want you to, to watch it. And I'm going to narrate the video for you as we go along. And watch a lady making the same mistake over and over again. Watch the screens, guys. So she's pulling up. I'm going to put gas in the car. Got myself. Is that a Honda? I think it's a Honda. Oh, oh, the gas tank, the, the fill-up hole is on the other side. So if I go round the island, I'll be able to get to the other side. <laughs> oh, they've moved. Well, well, it's still over there. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, I'll try again, try again. So if I, I, I'm going to have to back up. I know there's some backing involved. All right, here we go. I'm ready to go. Oh, for crying out loud. It's still... What's, what's, why do they keep, oh, now I can't back up because there's a car behind me. There's a little VW bug by the look of it. So I'll go around. Okay, and there's the backup. There's the backup. Here we go. One more time. I'm ready this time. Oh, oh. Now I can't go around the island one more time. What am I going to have to do? I'm going I'm, to, oh, I'll back up and I'll come the other way. All right? Okay, now I'm on the other side. What's going to happen? Ah, finally. Now. Is that typical of us in our spirituality at times? Well, it's not working the way I'm doing it. So if I just change my position, I'll eventually, if I just drive around a bit, I'll be back where I started. And in reality, I don't want to be back where I started. But that poor lady, she did it four times. She only got it right on, time, on, on version number five. And But sadly, that's how some people approach following Jesus. And Today, I would suggest that we need to have a strong evaluation 
of how our relationship with Christ is going so that we could, if you will, back up and move to a completely different position and plug into a new source of energy, a new source of potency that really is feeding my life from the proper side. And so what we're going to discover in the weeks ahead, for us as individuals, since we've dealt with some of the stuff of the church, in the weeks ahead, we're going to learn as we look at Jesus' conversations with people on his way to Jerusalem, he had some really frank, honest discussions and said, this is the way I'm going to challenge the culture. And then I would challenge, and he challenged individual lives as well. Honest conversations. In light of all of that, the backing up and rethinking, I want to give you just a beginning list of some places you might want to rethink about following. It's not an exhaustive list, but just some beginning lists. For example, some within our culture, perhaps some even within our church, followers of Jesus Christ, have to stop believing in sexual atheism. What's sexual atheism? You say you've never heard of that before? It's a term I heard a couple weeks ago. Sexual atheism is the way in which some people choose to live when it comes to their sexual lifestyles and their sexuality. They say, well, I follow Christ, but then they act as if they are atheists when it comes to their sexuality. And it's as if there is no God and no biblical guidelines regarding sexuality. And this is not, I'm not just speaking by any means to single people. But I'm speaking to all of us and what we look at, what we think about, how we respond to members of the opposite gender and so forth. In our day, a biblical sexual ethic is very, very difficult to follow because it is countercultural. But I believe that you can follow it and you can approach your sexuality, married or single, from a godly spirit-led direction. And if you haven't been of late, I want to tell you, there is enough grace to cover that. God's grace is always bigger than your struggle. God's grace is always bigger than your sin. And so if you've been struggling with that, then let God's grace cover that. Back up and start over, okay? Another way that we might want to think about leading, uh, about following Jesus Christ is some people have um, what I would call unplugged generosity, they say, I really, at, at my heart, I'm generous, but I just don't have enough stuff to be generous with these, with these days. And when I get more stuff, then I'll be generous. Well, I got to tell you, friends, you got to start with generosity now with what little you have in order to be God to grant you and trust you with more stuff so you can be generous then. And it's not a case to give to get, but begin being generous now with what you have and then see what God does in the future. And then another way that people maybe need to think about following Jesus in a more precise way is with a word that I invented this week called weekend worship-itis. Weekend worship-itis. Do you know what that is? Well, it's for the people who say on weekends, Jesus' story is very important to me, but then the cost of following Jesus has very little impact upon their life throughout the week. And uh, they don't give any thought to it. And maybe I could describe it this way. A couple years ago, I learned that I was in the need of um, a new prescription for my glasses. And I, I, I've worn glasses for about 25 years. And up until that time, they were always what, I don't know what you call it, single pain, right? And I go to the optometrist and he says, Wayne, 
you're of the age where <laughs> you're of the age where uh, your uh, eyes have changed dramatically. And I'm thinking he's going to say, you need bifocals. He says, you need trifocals. I go, wait, 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 whatever happened to bifocals? Couldn't we go through that phase first? No, I needed trifocals. And so uh, these are trifocals. And um, uh, I need help with close, with computer screens, and with far away now. And so recently, in terms of the, the computer, the staff recently helped me with a larger screen so I can see better. Here it is on the screen behind me. This is me in my office. <laughs> you can see really well. <laughs> no, that's not really me. That's Brian. <laughs> no, no he, here's what does happen, okay? I'll, I'll be working on my computer and uh, I'll take, sometimes I'll take my glasses off. I'm of that age where sometimes it's just easier to take my glasses off. And so I'll put them down on the desk right beside the computer. And then I'm ready to take a break from work or whatever. Or need to do something in the lobby or whatever. And I'll inadvertently walk out of the office without my glasses. And I can see quite fine. I know that's Fred Salmon sitting right there. No, it's not. You know what I, I can see. I, I can go out in the lobby and I can see shapes. I can see colors. I can see people and I can recognize them. Sort of. Because there'll be people, somebody standing all the way across the lobby and I'll call out their name and wave to them and they won't respond. Because then I'll get closer to them without my glasses and realize I don't have a clue who that person is. And they're looking at me like, I'm a guest here. Who is this strange man calling me weird names? You'd say, dude, put your glasses on. You'll be a lot better off. And I would say to some people when it comes to their weekend worship, dude, do that. Put your glasses on. Because here's what happens. We come to worship, we take a great intentionality to, to focus and we say, I'm going to read scripture, I'm going to worship God, I'm going to raise my hands if that's me, and I'm, I'm going to pray, I'm going to take communion. And then at the end of the service, we put the Bible back in the pew rack. And as we put the Bible back in the pew rack, it's almost like we leave our spiritual glasses right there in the pew rack to pick up next weekend. And we see shapes of fuzzy spirituality in front of us throughout the week but we don't really recognize what's going on. And sadly, some people look at the events of Monday morning or Thursday night of life, of family, of responsibilities, of challenges, and there's no sense that Jesus is in the middle of all of that. Why? Well, because I do that on the weekends. What would it be like for God to be in charge of you 24-7? How would things be different in the office this week? How would things be different in your work? How would things be different in your home? Here's what happens when we live like that. We lose sense of the base of life. We lose sense of the, the, sense of the Holy Spirit supporting everything we do and giving us wisdom throughout what we do. I, I have one, a picture I want you to see that will help you explain this. Many of you know that last March... Leslie and I went to um, Israel, and by your grace and kindness, we went and we spent a month there. And we weren't part of a tour group. We went in a little apartment in a place called Mount Zion. You ever heard of that? Mount Zion is right across a little 20-minute walk through a little dip in the road to the old city of Jerusalem. And we lived there for a month. We had the apartment. We had a car. We went a lot of different places. And one of the places we went very early on was a city called Beth Shan. 
Bethshan is a city that is in ruins now. It's more than 3,000 years old. Those paving stones that you see there, those are the original paving stones. This is 1,000 years or more before Jesus was born. It features very heavily in, Psalm, in pardon me, in 1 Samuel chapter 31. Saul, the first king of Israel, is in war, at war with the Philistines. He loses. He, he and his sons literally fall on their swords and die. The Philistines come along, decapitate them, take their bodies, and hang them, hang the bodies on the wall of an idolatrous temple in Beth Shan. 1 Samuel chapter 31. We were there standing. There's that wall right there. I'm standing right there. And I realized dead bodies hung here 3,000 years ago. Okay, so uh, the, the hill you can see in the background is what portion of the city that has yet to be excavated. It's basically the garbage dump of Beth Shan. And archaeologists love old garbage dumps because they go through layer upon layer. And they can figure out by what people threw away back then how people lived their lives. So we're making our way through Beth Shan and we're looking and we come to a, a very large room that had very interesting stones. They're about this tall. You can see they're at 3,000 years old. If they look like that now, they must have been very meticulously carved, put in rows. And I'm looking there thinking, what is this? Any idea what it might be? It's the bathhouse for the city. Well, how's that a bathhouse? That's the foundation of the bathhouse. There was a floor on top of that made of stone, and then the bath, the pools of water were on top of that. And slaves, literally, would be outside the walls of the bathhouse building fires and pushing hot smoke and heat underneath the floor in between all those rocks and all those stones. And the ambient heat would then heat the floor, which would then heat the bath. Make sense? Here's what... I'm looking at this and I'm going... When I finally figured out what it was and we read the sign, it occurs to me. <laughs> this is like us. If we don't have space in our lives to let the flow of the Holy Spirit get underneath us and heat us and give us the ambient power of God Almighty, we're cold as stone. But if we can get ourselves up and be supported by the work of the Holy Spirit and by our willingness to put Jesus in charge of everything, then you know what happens? The heat of God, if you will, the breath of God flows underneath us and about us all. Worship Itis, weekend worship Itis, doesn't allow for the flow of the Holy Spirit to move the power of God under you all week long. And you know what my response to that is? Stop it. Stop it. If you're feeling suffocated, like you're not supported, you're not in touch with God, and that life is blurred, stop it. And say, I want Jesus in charge of all that I do this week. I want you to see how the Apostle Paul put it in the book of Galatians. As a matter of fact, would you read this out loud with me as we close today? What happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity. We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart and a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. How do you get to do that? When we live God's way. The work of God flows underneath us and about us all. Jesus said, follow me. It's not easy, but follow me. 
Start now. And I would add, keep following tomorrow. Let's pray together. Lord God in heaven, hear the cry of our hearts. We want to be people who follow you. And Lord, I just want to make, if I can, if you will, the assumption that that's the cry of everybody in this place today. Though I'm quite aware, Lord, that how we live it out is where we get into the struggle and we sometimes don't, we can't carry it out from week to week or from day to day or hour to hour. And so help us to follow Jesus Christ more accurately and more closely in the days ahead, Lord, we pray. Lord, may, may the word of God and the spirit of God flow under our lives. Not just over, blow over us on a weekend, but under our lives all week long. We want to live our lives in a way that is counterculture to the community around us. We want to reflect the life of Jesus Christ as we follow him. So we place that kind of prayer in your hands today in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, I'm inviting you to stand together. We're going to to do two things yet today before we close. One is this group up here is going to lead us in worship. It bothers me that all of you are younger than me, but there you go. I guess I'm going to get over that, right? Well, Bill, you and I can sit and stand together. But uh, (laughs) it's really good to see young people leading us in worship. That's a great understanding of what God's doing in the life of our church. I love it. They're going to lead us in worship. And as we worship, if you would have a prayer request or something and say, hey, I really do need, I need some prayer about how I'm going to follow Jesus in the middle of this setting. Or, man, this really cool thing happened and I just want to say it's been good to follow Christ. We'd love to pray with you. There'll be some leaders from the church here and we're going to pray. And then kind of towards the end of the song, I want us to do something that you can only get to do in smaller crowds like today. And that is, I want us to... Um, I'll give the cue, and we're going to form a circle all the way around. So it means probably about six or seven rows back, we're going to have a line that goes across there. And then we're, going to, we're not going to join hands at first, because that's creepy to hold hands for too long, right? I know that with somebody you don't know. I get it. But by the time we close the service, we're all going to hold hands, and you're going to hear the word of the Lord for the week ahead, okay? So let's worship the Lord, and when, if you need prayer, come forward. And then when I give the cue, we'll make that big circle, okay?